So good morning. Um, Would you open your Bibles to Luke 9 this morning as we continue our series through the journey of Luke, kind of one chapter at a time. We're looking at the statements of Jesus that give us reason to pause and wonder. Uh, Before we get to Luke chapter 9, I want to give you guys just a few announcements this morning, a few things that are coming up this Friday night. We're having a, a, just a prayer ministry night here. What that looks like is a quiet sanctuary. Uh, there's someone playing keys and singing. It's not corporate worship or even corporate prayer. It's really just space for you to be still and have some time just like what we had in communion with God. So if that's something that you would like, uh, we invite you to come this Friday, 6.30 There's also a prayer ministry team here at our church, and that ministry team will be here and available uh, to pray with you and minister to you if you want to come and take part in that. Uh, next weekend is a ski trip for college students. I think there's a few more uh, spots for that. If you're interested in that, you can email uh, Andrew uh, or just come talk to me since Andrew isn't here this morning. You can come talk to me after the service. We'd love to get you connected uh, to that. And then lastly, uh, we announced this, talked about this last week. Thanks for those of you who already stepped in to filling that need of our youngest worshipers on the other side of the building. Uh, we just want to keep this in front of you as we continue to uh, ask God to provide through you the needs of our children as we come into the spring semester. Uh, once One Sunday a month, one service a month, one Sunday a month is what we're asking you to consider in caring for our youngest worshipers there on the other side. So those are the three announcements. Uh, I want to start uh, this morning just with a kind of an outline of Luke in general because uh, there is a, a transition in the flow of Luke's gospel in terms of the ministry of Jesus, what he's been doing, what he's been teaching, what's been happening, and where things are heading in uh, chapter 9. So here's just kind of a a big overview of the outline of Luke in general, uh, chapters 1 through 4, the preparation of ministry, uh, the announcement to Mary from Gabriel, the birth of Jesus, uh, the baptism of Jesus, uh, the temptation of Jesus, uh, that famous story in Luke chapter 4 when Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth and he asks for the scroll and he speaks uh, that scroll of Isaiah and said, this is being fulfilled in your hearing. And then people are like, isn't that Joseph's son? They try to throw him off a cliff. And that's the beginning of the preparation of Jesus' ministry. And then as we get to the end of chapter four, his really public ministry begins. And the geographic context for that is in Galilee, specifically most of which is in a town called Capernaum uh, on the Sea of Galilee. And we've been talking about that over the last weeks. Uh, It's the beginning of the gathering of Jesus' disciples. Uh, Lots of question about who Jesus is uh, in the Galilee area. And then as we move to chapter nine, the end of chapter nine is a transition from the ministry in Galilee south. Now he's moving toward Jerusalem. And uh, I want to read just this verse uh, with you, uh, verse 59. If you have your Bible open, this is not our text for the morning, but I want you to hear this and see this. This is why in the outline I put 951. So the ministry begins in Galilee chapter 4 through 951, and then the journey to Jerusalem is chapter 9, verse 51, through the end of chapter 19, and then everything that happens in Jerusalem, cross and resurrection, is the last five chapters. But this is what it says in John 9, or, um, Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, it was, it was the time was coming for the, for the mission of Jesus to be fulfilled, the cross and the resurrection. As that 
as that was approaching, as the time approached for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So some context of how the narrative is laid out. Uh, This transition, everything before verse 51 in chapter nine, most of the stories, most of what you see, uh, miracles were the dominant reality. Like I am, I, am, I am speaking that I am Messiah and I am showing that I am Messiah by the miracles that were performed. And we've been talking about those miracles over the past weeks. As we get into chapter nine and through 19, uh, most of the narrative is not miracles, but it's parables. And Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of God. And so that's the dominant reality in the third section. So I just wanted to point that out. And, and uh, one thing in particular that we that transitions, that gets a little bit more intense. Uh, The opposition to Jesus and his ministry and his proclamation that he's Messiah, there was a lot of opposition to that from the Jewish leadership in chapters four to nine. That, That opposition to Jesus is going to really, really intensify and the hostility toward Jesus is going to to grow. And so in that space, because hostility is growing, it is important for disciples to understand what a disciple of Jesus really is. Because as the hostility toward Jesus grows, it's gonna be really important for people who are saying, yeah, I wanna follow you, I'm in. It's gonna be really important for them to understand what discipleship really is because the hostility is gonna come on them uh, as well. So discipleship is, is really significant in this third section. Uh, one thing I wanna mention as we begin to talk about discipleship in the midst of the hostility toward Jesus growing is this, a true statement for you to consider. Uh, Jesus is full, he is the full expression of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And truly, truly we watch this uh, unfold in the gospels, Jesus meets people right where they are. He meets them right where they are when they come. But this is also true. Jesus, yes, he meets us. He loves us right where we are, but he loves us so much that he refuses to keep us there. A journey of discipleship is believing rightly in the message of the gospel and following Jesus and having our lives, our minds, our lives, our way, the way we think, the way we process life, the choices we make, that begins to get transformed in the way of Jesus. So when we think about discipleship, and we'll see this in section three of the Gospel of Luke, unbelief, things like unbelief, pride, Jewish exclusivism, uh, my will, my way, Judgment, things like this, all these things Jesus teaches through parables, these things must be rooted out of the discipleship of Jesus. Discipleship simply is not a casual deal to Christ. He places a very, very high priority on it. And so the the teaching today is pretty serious. It's pretty serious. And so I just wanna invite you uh, into this space of discipleship. Uh, as Jesus teaches us about what it is. I'm gonna define discipleship this way. Uh, We talk about discipleship in church conversations all the time. Uh, I'm gonna try to simplify for you in this way. Uh, It is a focused trust, a, a focused trust, belief, a receiving of the message of Jesus, the gospel 
of grace, the cross and the resurrection. Uh, it is a believing, a receiving in the message of Jesus. But that, that's not only what discipleship is. Discipleship is also a focused commitment, a following in the way of Jesus. It is a receiving of the message and it is a trans transformation in us, ongoing transformation as we follow in the way of Jesus. Um, so I, that's something that I want to just uh, put out there. So I, I want you to keep that in mind as we get into our passage. Uh, before we get, uh, our passage is the very end, verses 57 to 62, but I want to put one statement up here in verses 23 to 24 to start with. And I want you to keep this in mind, focus trust in the message, focus commitment to the mission, and this really, really familiar uh, statement of Jesus in verses 9 to 23. And Jesus said this, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would say, yes, I receive your invitation to follow you and to make you Lord of my life. Yes, a disciple. If anyone would come after me, he, she, they must, they must deny, he must deny himself and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for me will save it. This is a new wine and new wineskins teaching. That's kind of a theme that we've been talking about almost every week since that parable um, came out in Luke chapter five. And if, just to remind you, Jesus says like, I'm the new wine. I am the message of the new wine and you can't put new wine into old wineskins or the new wine will run out. And so to receive the message of Jesus, the recipients need to embrace this reality of new wine. Well, what is new wine and new wineskins in this verse? New wineskin denies our own ability to do all the things that the law requires to have right standing with God. New wineskin says, I am not able to do anything to be righteous in my own standing, my own discipline, my own ability, my own performance, my own love of God, to get right standing before God because I am so disciplined and so obedient. New wineskin denies ourselves and says, I cannot do it. Apart from the grace of God, I am undone. New wineskins isn't seeking to save our own lives by our own Ability, performance, checking boxes, new wineskins receives that Jesus has done it for us in our place. If anyone would follow Jesus, if any one of us would follow Jesus, we must deny ourselves and follow him. For if we seek to save our own lives, we will lose it. But if we lose our lives for his sake, we will find it. With this in verse in mind, I want to read our passage of the morning. Remember, this is coming after verse 51, where it says Jesus was resolute in moving toward Jerusalem to fulfill his mission to die in our place so that we might have life. So as they were walking along the road, as they, the, Jesus and the disciples, were walking along the road, again, south to Jerusalem from Galilee, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And we don't know much about who this man is, 
most likely someone that had been around the ministry of Jesus and all the miracles and the teaching that had happened in the time that he spent in Galilee. And so his, his perspective is, I'm in. Like, I'm so in, I will follow you wherever you go. And before I read Jesus' statement to him, I love this because um, I was thinking about you know, those radio commercials that they're wanting to bring you in. They want you to be a part of something or they want you to buy whatever product it is. And you're like listening to it and you're like, that sounds pretty good. And then at the very end of the ad, it's like, and it's all that like fine print stuff. You know what I'm talking about? And you can't keep up with what they're even saying because they don't want you to know the fine print. And what I love about Jesus's ministry is He's not putting the fine print of discipleship in that way. He's actually holding a poster board going, hey, before you follow me, I want you to understand what discipleship following me really, really is. And I believe that clear is kind. I believe that clear is kind. And so he, in a loving, gracious, truthful way, he wants to make sure this guy's like, hey, I'm all in, bro. Like, I'm wherever you go. Because Jesus, where was he going? To Jerusalem, where was he going? He was going to the cross. He was going to a sacrifice of his own life. So before you follow me, just know, just know that, hey, the world hates me and the world's gonna hate you because you're with me. So before you come all in, I just wanna, I just wanna let you know what discipleship is. And it's clear and it's kind, and it's gracious, and it's truthful. And he says to him, hey, I'm all in. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. And Jesus replies, foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he said to another man, follow me, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you, you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, third example, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So I notice that Jesus is serious about what following him really looks like, don't you think? And I wonder if when you read it, that you have thoughts the way I thought when I read it, like, man, this, is, this kind of feels like a little bit like sandpaper. It's like, I mean, don't you want people to follow you? You know, it just, it's, I wonder how you're hearing it, thinking about it, receiving these statements of Jesus around discipleship. Um, the statement in the passage, and it's mentioned a few times, is simply this. This is the statement of the morning when Jesus says, follow me, follow me. In other words, I'm not the leader. I'm not the leader. I'm not in charge of my own life. I don't make all the decisions. I'm not the leader. A disciple of Jesus isn't the leader. A disciple of Jesus is a follower, right? 
We listen to Jesus. We listen to the message. We, we have an opportunity to believe and trust in the message, focus belief. And then discipleship is now follow me. It's a focused commitment and following in the way and the teaching of Jesus. It's, certainly, it's not about earning. The, the, the gospel of Jesus, it's opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to following Jesus and growing and maturing in the way of Christ. And so in these three encounters, Jesus shows the very high, high priority he places on discipleship. And there's really no fine print to try to figure out. Again, clearest kind, it's clear, honest teaching on discipleship. In each encounter, as I look at these encounters and thinking about the statement of Jesus in verse 23 and 24, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves. Uh, each encounter really is an example of a refusal of, de of denying self. Each example is a refusal of denying self. And so Jesus is kindly, graciously, mercifully pointing this out because people seem genuine. They seem genuine in wanting to follow. And he's like, hey, I just, I, I just want to be clear about what discipleship, what discipleship is. And so I want to kind of walk through these three examples with you. Now, each of these examples, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase uh, and then I'm going to remind you of kind of the word picture or the point that I believe that Jesus makes. And then I'm going to invite us to just courageously, humbly ask ourselves some questions uh, in light of the teaching that might feel a little uncomfortable to ask ourselves. But I'm going to invite you uh, to do that. I, I believe that when the Holy Spirit is using the word of God to convict us, it is not condemning. So I wanna be, be really clear about that because the work of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of Jesus. And Jesus, the, from the fullness of Jesus, we have received grace upon grace. And so when you feel a sense of conviction in the proclamation and the teaching of God's word, it is not to condemn you. It is a conviction of the Holy Spirit to transform you, to set you Free. And so we can receive serious teaching from the word of God because we know and believe that Jesus is the manifestation. He's the fullness of grace upon grace and we are saved by grace and then we are empowered by grace as disciples. Amen? So here we go. First example. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. So here, here's the paraphrase that I think that this potential follower or disciple has. The paraphrase, I'm in, I'm in, but only if it's comfortable. If it's comfortable for me, like I'm in. And Jesus is like, hey man, there ain't no pillow. Like if you're committed to your pillow, following me is probably not gonna be your jam. So let me help you understand this. Like the word picture here is commitment isn't comfortable. Commitment to me as a disciple isn't comfortable. You need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Here's the point. Following Jesus carries with it a trust in God's 
provision even, even in uncertainty. Discipleship is walking by faith, not by, you know, not by sight. What's easier for you, walking by faith or walking by sight? You tell me. Walking by sight. And Jesus is like, you got to trust me in the uncertainty. You got to trust me in the uncomfortable places. And there are going to be uncomfortable places and there's going to be uncertainty in your life. And sometimes you're not going to have a pillow. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Serious teaching. I look at this, I go, my other statement on this, my first statement was discipleship is walking by faith and not by sight. That's the point. Also, discipleship is embracing that this world is not our home. We are simply sojourners passing through. Have you ever heard the phrase um, travel light or traveling light? And I'm not talking about like Frontier Airlines, but you need to travel light when you fly Frontier. Because <laughs> they're like, they've upped their whole game about, I mean, the next thing we're going to know is like, you can't even bring a billfold on the front. No. <laughs> I digress. Lindsay is on. She flew Frontier this weekend to California. Savannah, my 17-year-old, is in a dance competition there in Orange County. Anyway, she's like, they don't even let you bring a... FYI, they don't even let you bring a backpack on that sucker anymore. Like, you have... She's like, her... Like, she has this leather bag. She goes, I can fit more stuff in my leather bag than my backpack. But I got through with a leather bag, but they're not going to let you bring a backpack on. You got to travel light if you're going to... I mean, you're going to pay less money, but... Just know that. Travel light. Travel light. All right. So Max Cicado, pretty well-known author, has written tons of stuff. He wrote a book entitled Traveling Light. Anybody ever read that book before, Traveling Light, before a few of you? Did you like it? I haven't read it. I've just read some quotes on it. So I love the quotes. So now I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this book. You would recommend it. Okay, good. So here's the first quote from Traveling Light. Max Licato's words. Heaven does not know you as the fellow with the nice suit or the woman with the big house or the kid with the new bike. Heaven knows your heart. Pretty good quote, huh? I think the next one's an invitation even further in, further in, into trusting in the provision of God, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's uncertain. You have a God that hears you. You have the power of love behind you. You have the Holy Spirit within you. You have all of heaven ahead of you. If you have the shepherd, you have grace for every sin Direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, an anchor for every storm. You have everything you need. Why? How? Because you have God. Philippians 4, because you have the peace that passes understanding and you have the God of peace with you. It's a question I want you to consider in this first example. 
Does this life have you? Does this life have you? Another way to say that, do you, or do you see beyond this life to eternal life? Maybe another way to ask the question is, does your stuff have you? Or do you see beyond your stuff to eternal blessings? The paraphrase, I'm in, but only if it's comfortable. The point of Jesus' discipleship is walking by faith, not by sight. The question, does your stuff have you? Second example, to another person along the way, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And then Jesus said, let, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. This feels a little rough for me. This feels a little rough, a little, I don't know. I noticed that that, that felt like, ah. Um, here's a paraphrase. I'm in, I'm in, but I got some responsibilities to take care of. I got some stuff to figure out. So I'm in, but not right now. Maybe later. I'm in, but maybe later. Culturally, there are some things that certainly could be going on here. Most of the commentators that I read about this passage um, say most of them really align here that it's highly unlikely that this man's dad is this man's dad has already passed away. Highly unlikely. What's more likely here is that what is being said is I just can't I just can't up and go and leave. I just I can't just like. Stop, I just, I got things I gotta do. I got things I gotta clear up. I gotta make sure everything's taken care of. Like, I wanna follow you, but the timing just isn't right. So the point, I think, here is that, yeah, I mean, you've, we all come from families, right? We all come from families. Most of us have responsibilities and expectations placed on us because of the families that we're from. And we, we have things, we have maybe dreams and desires that have, we haven't fulfilled yet. And yeah, like, yes, Jesus, <clears throat> I hear you and I wanna do that, but I got some things I, I need to do first. I got some responsibilities, <clears throat> excuse me, that I need to take care of first. And I think the point that Jesus is making, I don't believe that Jesus is saying that families aren't important and that responsibilities aren't important. I don't think he's saying that at all. I do believe he's saying that families aren't the most important. I do believe he's saying that the kingdom of God as a disciple is the most important. So perhaps your own desires or perhaps expectations of family, perhaps it carries more weight in your life than the call of Jesus. So here's the question. Is there an unhealthy tether tied to you that could be preventing you from hearing God's voice and responding to his call on your life? Third example, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Again, man, those things get rooted in family systems. Like you do any like reading on like 
family, the power of a family system and how we grew up, like it is a powerful thing. So the third example, it's a, it's a little different, but it's still tied to me. I'm like, I, gotta, I, got some, I got some family issues. I got to, let me at least first go back and say goodbye. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So here's, here's the paraphrase of number three. Like, I am in, I'm in, but on my timing, not yours. Number two was, I'm in, but not right now. It's kind of an unknown when that might happen. Number three is like, I'm in, but not on your timing, on my, on my timing. A context, uh, Palestine was agricultural, uh, rugged, uh, and to look back when you're plowing a line was to make mistakes. I think for us, it would be more like cruising down college, 25. Maybe you notice a billboard, Maybe you looked at your phone and then you look back ahead of you and what happens sometimes when you're like looking away and then you look forward again? You're like off the line, right? You're like off the line. Then you're looking around like, is there a cop around here? You know, like if, you, if you're plowing a line in, in, in agriculture, you cannot be looking back. You have to be looking forward. That's the word picture. So question for you, like, in, in relationships, relationships that you have with your family or relationships you have with a friend, a roommate, your spouse, whatever, uh, in relationships, do you, would you agree that having clear communication around expectations is important and valuable and good? And that we get into trouble in relationships that if, let's say, I have an expectation of you, but I don't tell you what that expectation is of you, and then you don't do whatever I expect you to do, I'm gonna have some tension about that. Now, the onus of that is on me, not on you, because I didn't even communicate to you what the expectation was. But I'm putting you under the, are y'all with me right now? I'm putting you under it. And so when we spend time, and I see young couples, people that have officiated their weddings and done their premarital and others here that are to be wed, uh, we spend a whole session on this particular topic. And I tell couples all the time, and I, I have to embrace this in my own marriage, Lindsay and I really need to communicate well with each other on what our expectations are to this degree. Hey, we got to go down to Phoenix to pick up my daughter Ellie from college. What's your expectation on how long this journey's going to go? Because I'm thinking like five minute bathroom stops. <laughs> like, like I'm thinking like we gone. Like she's like, no. Like I love road trips. I want to like stop at this park and do this and that. And so we got to get that short up, right? Because if she doesn't talk about what her expectations are on this road trip, and I don't talk about what my expectations are on this road trip, guess what we're going to have on the road trip? Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I'm just telling you from experience. Okay, so just know that. So what we tell couples in premarital is you need to err on the side of over-communicating, defining terms, what you want, what you need, what you desire, what your expectations are. And then you have to take it even a step further. Then you have to talk in relationship about, is that realistic? 
Because I can tell Lindsay what my expectation is, and she might be like, I'm not about that life. I'm not about the five-minute bathroom stop. And I am, because I'm the, I'm the guy on a road trip that looks at the, full confession, I'm, some of you are probably in the room. I'm the guy at the beginning of the road trip, Jimmy, that goes like, I'm gonna be there at this time, and then I'm in a competition with myself the entire road trip to beat the time. Anybody else in the room? What are we doing to ourselves? Seriously, you know? And Lindsay is literally the complete opposite, and she's healthier than all y'all. <laughs> that braces the journey. But what I love, it's this serious teaching of Jesus. But what I love about it is that clear is kind. He's not going to allow us to have an idea or an understanding of discipleship that's not discipleship. He loves people well to communicate what it really, because the invitation is follow me. And he loves people well to say, here's what I mean by follow me. Here's what I mean. Like you think it means this, and I'm saying this is what, this is what it is. And it's gracious, honest, clear, kind teaching. It, it has Old Testament precedent, this, the clarity of conversation here. I want you to think about the exodus of God's people, Israel, from being enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. And so think of the, you know, the Pharaoh and the plagues and, and the Red Sea and everything that's going on with Moses and rescuing Israel out of Egypt. And if you wanna go read some of this later, like just, it's Numbers 14, read Numbers 14 and on down the journey in Numbers. But the exodus of Israel from Egyptian slavery, and what do they keep doing? Like Jesus is literally like, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way, a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day, and I'm gonna lead you, and then I'm gonna bring literally supernatural food from heaven, and it's gonna feed you every day. But I'm not gonna give you food for the next week. I'm just gonna give it for each day, but trust me here. And what did Israel keep doing? They kept looking back to Egypt. And we look at them and we go, they're fools. And they're just like we are. Because what did they know in Egypt in slavery? Well, they knew they were enslaved, but they also knew like, I know when, what time, how, three squares a day. And they're, they're moving to the promised land and it's uncomfortable, it's uncertain. The promise of God is you're gonna get the manna, but I'm not gonna give it to you until the next day. And they kept looking back to slavery because it's what they knew. And then they complained, complained when God brought them toward deliverance in the desert. I just look at it and I go, they were afraid. They kept looking back because they were afraid. And I'm just like that. They didn't trust in God's provision and they kept looking back. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 more years until that generation had died out and their children got to go in to the promised land with Joshua and Caleb. What keeps you question? The paraphrase and the third one is, I'm in, but on my timing, not yours. 
The point is Jesus loves people, us well, to communicate what it really means to follow. The question is, what keeps you looking back? And my gut is that for most of us, it's also fear. And when we get afraid, when we get afraid and we start looking back, we, 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 we move away from trusting in God's provision and the uncertainty and the uncomfortable places, and we look back. When we get afraid, we want to try to control our life. And it keeps us from growing and maturing in the way of Jesus as a disciple. For me, like I'll be vulnerable with you guys, it's about finances. That's where I get afraid. I mean, I look back on 20 plus years of ministry. We have five kids and there are Ebenezer after Ebenezer after Ebenezer of God's faithfulness over and over and over again, providing for my, my family's needs Literally like stories of like, like I, this just kind of came out, but like this was like first five years of ministry. And like we, we were in a situation where like we needed $400. Like, and I kid you not, that week, somebody sent us a check for $400 that had new, no idea what we were going through. I'm just like, what the what, you know? And I got dozens of more stories like that. But I'm sitting here today going like, my daughter's a senior in, in, in high school and she's going to college. I'm like, Lord, I don't know what we're gonna do. We got two in college, like what? And I look back and I try to figure it out. And I'm like, think, you know, like, trust me, son. Trust me, son. It's uncertain, you're uncomfortable. I provide, I've been faithful all the way through, like, stop looking back. Don't look back in fear. Don't look back in fear. I'm chills right now. Like, I'm literally preaching to myself. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting me even in the moment. Like, but I do it. I do it because I'm just afraid. So here's a summary. It was a vulnerable moment that wasn't in my notes. Um, first, first person, I'm gonna follow you wherever you go. And Jesus holds up. Holds up the sign. Are you ready to be uncomfortable? No fine print. Are you ready to be uncomfortable? Second guy, I'm gonna follow you too, Jesus. Jesus said, are you ready to prioritize the kingdom of God over your family? Third person, okay, I don't have any comfort issues. I don't really sleep with a pillow anyway, so I don't, I'm not worried about that. I don't have any comfort issues. And I don't have any dad, I don't have any daddy issues. Like, you know, guy number two, like I'm good on those two things. Like I'm gonna follow you. And Jesus goes, are you sure you're ready to go all in and never look back? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because that's, that's discipleship. And if you're looking at this in succession, it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of an odd deal to look at it, because it's like three, it's like three different like examples, three different examples and three different answers. And oftentimes I think like, like we just we just want to put God in a formula. We want maths. We want maths. Just give me some maths. You know, like I can I can get around math, because math is like 
two plus two equals four, four, you know, like, and I love math because it resolves. It's my favorite. I like control. I like, you know, like there's an equal, there's the right answer. And, you know, English was my subject that I hated because it's so subjective. You know, like my first like paper in college, like I thought it was pretty good. So I got a D minus and it was like more red on the page than like what I typed up or whatever. And I'm just like, what the what, you know, like it's so, but in math, like calculus, oh yeah, A baby, right here, right here. Not in English. And I think sometimes like I want, I want God to be like math and grace, grace isn't math. Grace is Grace. Three different answers for three different guys. The point I'm trying to make, don't put formulas on God. He doesn't reside in a box. God doesn't reside in a box. In fact, this, 1 John 4, God is spirit. God is outside of time. And the kingdom of God is upside down to the world. Like verse three in chapter nine, we didn't look at this, but Jesus is sending the, the, the 12 out. And he literally says, this is so upside down to the world. He says this in verse three. He says, take nothing. He's like sending them out. He was giving them power and authority to drive out demons and cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom and to heal the sick. And he said, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. <laughs> like what? And I'm sure they're like, what? Trust me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the manna. I'm gonna give you the manna. Don't try to control it. I want you to be uncomfortable. I want this to be uncertain because when you're in uncomfortable places and you're in uncertain places and you have to truly trust in God for your provision and he provides, your faith explodes. But when you're controlling it, you're like two plus two equals four. And we miss revelation of the supernatural power of God. I'm preaching now. Verse 48, if you want to be the greatest, chapter 9, verse 48, if you want to be the greatest, be like a child. Be like a child. Humble, dependent, in need. That's discipleship, right? I'm not sure which of these three land in a Holy Spirit conviction kind of a way for you this morning but I'm inviting you to consider that the Holy Spirit, by his grace and mercy, may be wanting to teach you, show you, transform you. Higher up, further in, as C.S. Lewis said, and discipleship of Jesus. Maybe it's the first one. Man, I do. Like, I really want certainty and comfortability. And if I'm honest, like, yeah, my stuff has me. And it keeps me from, like, growing in discipleship. I need to learn to travel light. I need to let go of all the things. Maybe it's number two. I'm in, but not right now. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a dream thing for you or a, or a thing for you where, you, where, where you're like, you know what? I, I know that I haven't surrendered my will 
to the will of Jesus and I'm holding on to my will. Or maybe there's this unhealthy tether that's related to family. I, I, I don't know. But I wonder if this may be where the Holy Spirit needs to spend some time ministering to you, inviting you higher up, further in. Maybe it's the third one. I'm in, but on my timing, like what keeps you, what keeps you looking back? Clear as kind, grace and truth from Jesus about discipleship. Here's a warning I wanna give you, pastoral exhortation, encouragement. Don't make this about your determination to be a better disciple of Jesus. Don't go that route. It's all of grace. It's all a work of grace. Don't make it about your ability to, I'm gonna be more disciplined to be a better disciple of Jesus. If that's what you're hearing, like, please, like, that's not the message. It's not the message. Now, does discipleship require something of us? Yeah, like, a full trust, a full commitment to the way of Jesus? Yes, faith and trust. Is it dependent on us? No, no, it is not. Discipleship is given to us by his grace and it is also empowered by his grace. Grace, uh, the grace of Jesus saves us. Hallelujah, amen. Unmerited favor and the grace of Jesus empowers us in discipleship as well. Our response, our response Trust, trust, and a, and, a, and a heart that follows because we trust. Chris, you can come back up. Discipleship is a focused trust in the message of Jesus and a focused commitment in the way, the mission of Jesus. I would say it this way. The message of Jesus is the mission and the mission of Jesus is proclaiming the message. And we see one more example of this, Titus chapter two, verses 11 and 12. I'm gonna show you how this appears in this verse. I, I hope I've been able to show that to you in Luke chapter nine, verses 23 and 24. I see it here as well. Um, biblical theology around this idea of discipleship being trust, receiving, believing, and then following. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. There's the focus, trust, the believing, the receiving. And it's by grace. And it teaches us, well, what, what teaches us? The grace of God teaches us, empowers us, teaches us God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There's the focus commitment. Like Jesus said these words in John 14 in the Last Supper, like, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, believe that. I am the way and the truth and the life. Focus belief. And then he says, and anyone who comes, comes. There's a, that's a movement. It's not just a believing and receiving. It's a following. Anyone who comes to the Father must come through me. 
Grace on the front end, grace on the back end, grace all the way through. And when you taste that beautiful reality of empowered grace, it, it, it changes from an outside working in to be better, do better, to an, an inward transformation that flows by the Spirit of God and being more like Jesus, whom we say we follow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to gather, to fellowship, to, to sing, to be in your word. Um, Lord, would we humble ourselves in a fresh way to receive your gracious, merciful truth from Luke chapter nine today, to see discipleship in a way that is empowering and life transforming in the way of heaven. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit's conviction by your kindness moves us to places of repentance and transformation in our real lives, in our real relationships, in the journey that we're on. In Jesus' name we pray.